years and got here just in the nick of time. What does that make us? Big damn heroes, sir. Ain't we just? move mountains to get this film finished. Get home and stay safe and thank you so much from all of us. He was talking about the uh, airlines because they're canceling these flights left, right and center. An emergency coronavirus bill could force people with virus symptoms to isolate. Cameras have all stopped rolling. We've got a film to finish. Yeah, let's get this movie done. Without really wanting just to say I'm very sorry and disappointed I am that our big scene had to be cut. But if the players stop playing, she meant nothing to me. I'm really sick now. You've made your bed. <laughs> now you can die in it. Nobody even knows what day it is. All week. If we're not reflected in someone else's eyes. Hi, Lucy. How's your mum doing? Do we really exist? If there's no one to laugh at a joke. Is it funny? If we're alone, truly alone. I can't breathe! Can you get out? Are we really alive at all? One of the things we do know is that our lives will never be the same. I'm an idiot. I don't deserve these powers, if I'm being honest. Like, what am I even contributing? There's already a superhero with a red suit with a lightning bolt on it. Aquaman is literally huge and he's so manly. And Batman is so cool. And I'm just me. I feel like a fraud. You understand I'm a pediatrician, right? Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM, the film and TV radio show where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television. I'm Marcus E. Ako and I am a little bummed that I haven't had the opportunity to watch the latest Shazam movie. I am producer Dave. Um, yeah, I went to see it and uh, entertaining. That's, that's the word I would give it. <laughs> you're slowly, you're like, you're like, well, I'm bummed that I have seen the second Shazam. I'm not movie. bummed that I've seen it. It's just that. Um, well, anyway, let's carry on with the show. Get, we get to that. You can't do that. <laughs> okay, so. So I am very much looking forward to watching the latest Shazam movie, which is what's the what's the this, the title to it? It's Shazam Fury of the Gods. Fury of the Gods. So I, I I all I know from it is obviously Zachary Levi returns as as the eponymous Shazam. I loved him in the first one. I thought he was it was pitch perfect casting. He 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 nailed it. I think he's fantastic. I think the supporting characters as well were great. I thought Mark Strong was a fantastic villain in the previous one. Obviously, he may or may not be in this one. I'm not sure. However, in this one, I know you have Helen Mirren, Lucy Liu popping back in to play villain duties. Um, and I, I love them and everything I see them in. I haven't seen this. 
as soon as it comes out, I'm most likely going to grab the kids and we'll go watch it. But you've seen it. And it seems your reaction isn't um, isn't one in the way of of a five star rating for this film. Producer Dave, tell us what your opinion of this film is. For me, uh, I'm I'm kind of used to the uh, superhero films from Marvel and the other DC ones, and usually they have got some some gravitas to them. But this was made purely for the under let's say, 14-year-old. Or 14-year-old at heart, or or those with the IQ of a 14-year-old, or the maturity level of a 14-year-old. I mean, one of the things I really liked about Shazam when I first came across it years and years and years ago in the comics was that the, the way they had Billy Batson doing, you know, being a kid, and then yeah. you had Shazam being the older man. And you, you had equal amounts of both. You didn't get that in, in the film. You saw mostly Zach, Zachary Levy, which is not bad per se, but where you saw Billy Batson, it, it wasn't that much, if you see what I mean. So you didn't see his progression. You, you didn't see him growing up, as it were. You saw it through the eyes of Zachary Levy, okay. which for me didn't always work, but Zachary Levy is good anyway. I just thought that it was aimed at the younger market. The other thing I didn't like so much was all the product placement, which was just so obvious. There is, there is one, there is one which is just so, so obvious. It's like, you go, oh my Was it a Coca-Cola vending machine flying at someone? I'm not, gonna, I'm not even gonna say what it is. <laughs> I'm not gonna say what it is. I will spoil this tiny little bit for you though and say it's to do with unicorns and that's it that's all i will say okay right so you well, all right so as soon as it pops up i'll be like oh that'll put you on your guard as soon as you know there's a unicorn coming up you'll 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 be looking at you won't even need to look out for it it will just hit it will just like clobber you so a random unicorn will roll up and they stop and lift up a hoof and there'll be a rolex there <laughs> If, you, if you're going out for an in, a, a t- entertainment, big bangs and lots of action, you're going to be fine. There are a couple of things in there as well that I weren't too happy with. It, it played up to, a, to one of those old tropes that, you know, I didn't think very much of. But it's fine. It, it, I mean, it's a good film, you know, good entertainment. It's going to make money. Well, I'll check it out and I will come back and see if I agree with you or if it's going to be one of those cases where I'll say, I don't know what you were smoking, producer Dave. Shazam Fury of the Gods was fantastic. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Um, I haven't had, I didn't get the chance to come and watch the movie with you, the preview with you, uh, but I have been preoccupied watching or binge watching rather Married at First Sight season nine Australia <laughs> and, and, and every t- every now and again when I mention to people to certain friends uh, that this is what I'm currently watching they're usually pitching me there's one friend in particular who is he, he he'll message me uh, and it's like have you started watching this this has come up have you started watching this and I'm like sorry I haven't I haven't I haven't watched the last two episodes of Last of Us because uh, or the Mandalorian that's just started I haven't started watching that mainly because. I'm still watching Married at First Sight Australia season nine. And even saying the words, I'm beginning, I'm like, I get embarrassed. But when I'm watching it, I'm hooked in, hook, line, and sinker. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's a reality TV show, and I'm doing that in air quotes, where 
the program is all about putting people who have not been able to find success in relationships. And so they go on this show where they will, where three experts, three relationship experts will look at their profiles and pair them up with people that they feel they would make the, you know, a, a successful relationship. And what has to happen is those people have to meet up for the very first time and get married. And then they spend, I think it's between two to three months together as part of this program, doing various relationship exercises and so on and so forth. And going, and it is, it's trash TV, but it is amazing trash TV. It is, you get so invested in certain couples and the bickering that goes amongst them. They always meet up together and some couples, some some, some of them hate each other and some of them hate their, their spouses. And in every season, there's always uh, one couple that breaks up, but they hook up with other couples within the group and so on. And it's just, I every, every season, there is one episode where I'm punching the air. And I, every time I'm punching the air because something has happened, I'm like, seriously, dude, you're watching Married at First Sight and you're treating it like you're watching the, the finale of The Mandalorian. I don't know. It, it's it's a, If you don't, if, go and check it out. I believe it's on, I believe it's Channel 4 that have it. So go and check out um, all four. You'll be able to binge watch. Oh, there are 10 seasons. The 10th season has just started. Um, go check it out. And uh, heckle me if you want to, or join me and say, don't you think Dominica and Jack should have been so whatever? I'm like, I, I know what you're talking about, and yeah, and so on and so forth. Either way, if you want to do that, send us a message on Shoot the Breeze at uh, on Instagram at Shoot the Breeze Show or on Twitter at STB Resonance FM. Just say, Marcus, I agree with you. Married at first sight, South uh, Australia is the bomb. If you disagree and want to heckle me, do the same thing. That's fine. I'll take it. It's on E4, and every time it comes on, I just switch over. I'd much rather watch The Mandalorian. Yeah, look, I'm not saying. Look, I'm not saying that if you were to put The Mandalorian and Married at First Sight on the chopping block and say one of them has to go, which one is it going to be? I'm not going. I'm not going to say The Mandalorian should be should go. I'm going to keep Mandalorian and axe the other one. I'm just telling you that this is what. I've been binge watching, so say what you will, say what you will. I, but the season is finished, so now I, it's perfect time as well because look at what is now available. I've just mentioned Mandalorian. I've talked about the, the Last of Us. The two last episodes of season one have just dropped. That's there. Also, just dropped on Netflix. Luther, the 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 film, Luther's film. Um, Idris Elba playing John Luther. It's on Netflix. It dropped a couple of days ago. I'm there for it. I haven't watched it yet, but it's there. Ted Lasso, third season, first episode on Apple TV Plus has landed. You see, so that's what I was in the wilderness. I was waiting for these ones to come so I can enjoy, I can imbibe. And while I was there, I partook of the sugary fruit that is, you know, Naked and afraid <laughs> and, and married the first time in Australia and whatnot. So that's that's what I was doing. I was waiting for that for that thick juicy steak and 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 then vegetarians are like, what are you? Why are you using? Yeah, well, you know, they they have their own thick juicy steaks, the the cauliflower steaks and what and tofu, <laughs> tofu steaks. Yeah, yes, and corn. I'm like, well, fair enough. Yeah, whatever it is that makes you salivate. 
those have now arrived. So I'm going to be feasting on that stuff in this weekend. And uh, but in the meantime, if you've watched Married at First Sight Australia and you want to talk about it, feel free to message us and we'll chat about it. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm producer Dave. And uh, we'll just jump straight into film and TV news. And then before, straight after film and TV news, we're going to uh, go uh, do a throwback to an interview, two interviews that we did um, in a couple, of, a couple of years ago. We interviewed Ben Charles Edwards, who was the director of Father of Flies. And we interviewed Kirsty Bell, who was the director of A Bird Flew In. They're both... Uh, uh, the CEO, founder, and uh, executives at Goldfinch Entertainment. The reason why we're going to be throwing back to that interview is because of something that happened at the Oscars, and that's what we're going to talk about in film and TV news. I believe it was the 90th um, Academy Awards uh, that happened last week. Uh, anyway, it's Oscars 2023 that occurred. And it's the 95th, sorry, the 95th Academy Awards that happened last Sunday. And while there weren't as there, there wasn't a controversial moment like the year before with a certain person slapping another person, um, there were a few history-making uh, occurrences uh, from the night, as well as, you know, a number of surprises in terms of wins. For example, uh, history uh, was was made with the first um, Asian uh, winner of the Best Actress Award. Michelle Yeoh beat Anna Diarmas, Kate uh, Blanchett, Michelle Williams, and Andrea Riseborough, who kicked up a stink or caused a stink to be kicked up because you know, because we, we won't go even go into it. Either way, it was Michelle Yeoh's night. She took that award. Everything, everywhere, all at once, pretty much swept up. Almost a, almost a clean clean sweep because it took uh, the best picture of the year, which a lot of people were like, what? What about All Quiet on the Western Front? But I think that took best international picture. So best picture was everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, best actor... Uh, it was Brendan Fraser. So that, that bit I was quite surprised by. I don't know. I wasn't quite surprised. I thought it would either be Austin. I thought it would be Austin Butler that would take it for Elvis. But Brendan Fraser is beginning his comeback with The Whale. Um, so he took that one. That wasn't a problem. Best director, Daniel Kwan and Daniel... Sh I, I, I always mess up his last name. Uh, um, he The two Daniels, they took... Best director for again everything everywhere all at once. Uh, best supporting actor K. Hugh Kwan. He came in. He took that. Jamie Lee Curtis took best supporting actress from the same film, and that is what raised a number of eyebrows because a lot of people were like, "Hold on a second, are you saying that her performance was better than Angela Bassett's?" And that was like, "Whoa, really?" Um, another person, Stephanie, uh, who's uh, Stephanie Sue, I believe her name is. Also, the supporting actress from Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Everyone was wondering, why did J uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, who had a very tiny role in that film, why did she pick it when Angela Bassett, she killed in Black Panther Wakanda Forever? Why didn't she get it? 
And I'm one of them as well. It's like, hold on a second. There's one scene in particular that you watch it and Angela Bassett kills. And you're like, but no, anyway, either way. That raised tiny little eyebrows. But then, yeah, everything else, pretty much you know, original screenplay, everything, everywhere, all at once, that picked it. I think it also took um, makeup or something. It, it took a number of different things. Uh, film editing, that's another one they took. Anyway, it did a clean, not a clean sweep, but it did a very big sweep at the Oscars this year. Uh, Producer Dave, were there any surprises from the winners, uh, if, in your opinion? Well... To be quite honest, um, I thought it was going to be a mirror of the BAFTAs, which it wasn't. Um, so most of them, I was really glad that they picked up um, Best Film and that uh, Michelle Yeoh got Best Actress. I thought, like you, uh, Best Supporting would go to Angela, um, Angela Bassett, but yeah, that, that was a surprise. In actual fact, they showed the picture of them the camera on them both at the same time. And Angela Bassett's face did not change all the way through. Um, yeah. The look on Jamie Lee Curtis's face was just something else. She was not, you could see that she was not expecting it. It was, that was definitely, I, I won, my God. And she just went, she broke up. But Angela of Bassett course. just, oof, yeah. Yeah, I was and, a bit... and hey, you know, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? Angela Bassett might get another film in a couple of years and they're just going to say, hey, we did you dirty the last time, so here you go, you got it. Uh, but that was the Oscars. It's now come and gone. A new season of movies have, have now begun. But that's why I want to use this as a segue into our spotlight uh, segment because the live action short that won was An Irish Goodbye. And that, that was that's a film that was executive produced by Kirsty Bell from Goldfinch Entertainment, who you know Goldfinch Entertainment also uh, was the the production company that uh, Ben Charles Edwards is part of. And we interviewed them back in 2022 when they were both having their films Father of Flies and A Bird Flew In. It was at the uh, Paris International Film Festival, which has just finished its run for 2023. So casting our mind back to 2022, I figured we're going to, before we, we, we're trying to organize to get them back on the show to talk about their films and talk about an Irish goodbye and its success. So we figured let's cast our mind back to that interview, talking to those two about their films. And that's what we're going to do in our segment, Spotlight. <laughs> You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And we have with us uh, the director of Father of Flies. He's going to tell us uh, a lot about uh, this film, which is uh, in the Paris International Film Festival. Please tell us your name and start off by telling us what Father of Flies is all about. Well, good to meet you both. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Ben Charles Edwards. I'm a movie director, writer and producer. Um, and Father of Flies is a movie I wrote. In fact, I wrote it as a child originally. It was based on my childhood. Of course, it, I didn't have the same demise and the, the absolute horrors that you'll see in the movie. I but, was going to say, I've seen the trailer, and if that's your childhood, <laughs> then wow, you have, you, you have come up nicely. 
<laughs> well, you know, I, I took um, I took my dad to the test screening of it, and um, bless him. And then afterwards, he came up to me and he said, "Boy, I think you need therapy." <laughs> but I think that um, you know, it's like any cathartic process, a creative one. You know, it, it's a story about divorce and how a family um, cracks start to show in this relationship, and from that, all sorts of horrors are bred. The name of the film, Father of Flies, I almost tripped up uh, on myself calling it Firefly because I love the show Firefly, but that's not what it is. And then there's Lord of the Flies, which also kind of crosses into it. Um, did any of, well, obviously not Firefly, but did Lord of the Flies have any influence on the titling of the film, Father of Flies? No, it didn't. But Lord of the Flies, I mean, I remember reading Lord of the Flies, William Golding as a kid. But, and, and ironically, one of my co-writers that I work with on a regular basis, he's, his father was the writer of High Wind in Jamaica, which was obviously the, I guess, a prelude in a sense. But Father of Flies is the title in a sense becomes apparent towards the end of the movie um, as to why it's named Father of Flies. It's also something quite ominous and dark about the title, um, Brooding. And, I've, and I love that title. Um, but Father of Flies is also a name given to um, Beelzebub, one of the demons of hell. So it's his nickname, but I just call him B, but um, some people call him Father Flies. <laughs> nice that you have that kind of relationship with him. <laughs> you get on with both sides, and you, unfortunately. Is it safe to call Father of Flies a horror movie? Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. It's, it's, a, it's a horror. I mean, it's not a kind of a a slasher there's no cheerleaders getting stabbed in the breasts it's not that kind of horror but it's it's a very psychologically driven horror that explores the damaging effects of when relationships break down horror in a sense is anything that the human soul finds horrifying horrific and some of the best horrors are bred from those ideas of uncertainty, the unknown, and the things that mean the most to us, which is the loss of loved ones, which is a family being ripped apart. All of these things are really good stems to start a horrific story. That's the reason why I wanted to clarify, because obviously it, when you watch the trailer for the film, it is clear that it comes from that sort of psychological uh, horror perspective, although there are elements that could lead you to, to see it as a like a ghost film or a ghost movie or... Uh, you know, a demonic possession type movie. Um, there's one bit in the trailer specifically. Uh, and all I'm going to describe it as is just the, the uh, there's something under my bed. And that shot alone, that little bit in the trailer is done so well. Definitely scary. For anybody who has kids who gets called into the, the kids' room to come and check for monsters under the bed, it's an, it is very impactful. I really enjoyed that particular part of the trailer. So, as you said, this story was inspired by your childhood, by you growing up. But the style of the movie itself, what were your inspirations in terms of the style of Father of Flies? Um, first of all, Marcus, I love that you love that scene. That was kind of the, one of the best parts of me writing that moment. I thought, wow, that's, that's scary. That's really, really scary. The, the, the inspiration for the, for the style of the film, I was born in the 80s and... You know, as I say, this was loosely based on my childhood or my situation to some degree. I do believe I grew up in a haunted house. Um, I don't know if all your listeners believe in that, but I certainly think there was unexplained things that happened in that house. So the film has that element of an 80s aesthetic, slightly. Um, so I think that it was kind of a, 
an amalgamation of that and whatever we had available to us in New York on the time and the budget we had to shoot it. And, and it's clear, again, the, uh, the influences, as you see, and that's why I wanted to sort of try and get that, uh, that, that, that understanding as to whether you were influenced by the 80s horror films, which, which same as me, I grew up in the 80s, loved the horror films of the 80s. My personal favorite in the 80s that stuck with me, Evil Dead, obviously. Any horror film I want to do, it's influenced by the Evil Dead. You wanted to get a little bit more in terms of that with yourself. Now, with, with the actual cinematic style, what examples of films would you want to give as uh, reference points where you can say, if people say, right, I love this movie, so I will definitely love Father of Lies. What kind of examples would you want to give? Good question. Um, I think there's one that's quite clear, which is Poltergeist, which, uh, you know, this film certainly has some scenes which pay homage to Poltergeist. It's one of the best movies ever made, Poltergeist. I mean, obviously, he's a genius, but I would say that's a fairly good reference. And I'd say the Babadook, within its kind of um, aesthetic to a degree, its structure, the way that the horror is structured in, a, in the Babadook is quite similar to Father of Flies. Yeah, I think those would probably be the two. Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, and after Paris International Film Festival, where will people be able to see Father of Flies? Um, it's going on general release on the beginning of the second week of April. Um, so watch this space. I imagine IMDb and Google and so on. It's going to be publicised as to where you'll be able to see it, if it's which theatres and which streaming platforms. Um, and we've got a few other small, or not small, but a few other, um, or a small festival run left. We've still got a few great festivals to come up um, along with Paris. Um, which is exciting. Excellent. So we'll be joining you in a few minutes to when we talk to you and Kirsty Bell about A Bird Flew In. Thank you very much for joining us, Ben Charles Edwards, and uh, we'll talk to you in a few minutes. Great. Appreciate your time. You're listening to Shift the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And we've just been speaking with uh, the director, producer uh, of Father of Flies, Ben Charles Edwards. So we've already introduced him. So what we're going to do is we're going to pass over to Ben to introduce our next guest, who is the director of uh, A Bird Flew In. So Ben, take it away, please. Oh, well, very good. Thank you. Um, and I would love to introduce you to Kirsty Bell, the creator and the director of A Bird Flew In, which is also making its... French debut at the Paris Film Festival. Kirsty, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a, it's a, it's an honour, Marcus. I think the the honour is all ours. Uh, so tell us about a bird flew in. What is the story of a bird flew in? The story of a bird flew in is essentially twelve protagonists who were all working in some capacity on a film set on the night of the UK lockdown on March twenty third, two thousand twenty. And what we see is them all going back to wherever they live or where they come from and shutting the door behind them. So like the, the title, The Bird Flew In, essentially they're like trapped birds in their own homes and some birds can survive and exit from that home and some birds can't and some birds just stay the same. They just wait to be let out. So our, our, our film explores relationships that people have with themselves, with others, and it is over a very, very small pressure cooker 10-week environment until the 1st of June 2020. So obviously the story is influenced by what's happening in the world with COVID uh, and 
what everybody had had to do at that point, unprecedented for people in our, our generation, our, our, our life, um, to just get locked away uh, and not really interact except through Zoom, which is what we're doing right now. As a director, what were the influences that you drew upon to create the, the film that we can now see? Actual reality. So we were actually involved in a film that um, the producer of the film had managed to bring forward the schedule by a week and a half because he had he just sensed something was happening. He's quite spooky. He's our executive producer on the pro project, Philippe Martinez. And basically, um, we all went home on the night of the lockdown. We wrapped literally as lockdown was announced. It was the most bizarre experience. And when I was driving home, I thought, oh, my God, I'm going home to an empty house. My husband's stuck in Australia. Like, what am I going to do? And then I started using Zoom for meetings like all the rest of the world. And I was sort of sitting there, you know, you're listening to conversations, you're doodling, you're writing notes. And I was thinking, I wonder what's going on in their life. I wonder what's happening in there. And then I started creating these characters, which were an amalgamation of things I'd seen or heard of or, you know, aspects of people I knew or had met. And I sent photographs of this to Philippe and he said, it's a film. Um, so that's when I got uh, Ben involved in it because Ben and I produced uh, the documentary Quant and I also helped produce the UK side of things for Father of Flies for him. So I knew what his creative producing capabilities were, were like. And the rest is sort of history. We developed it with the writer Dominic Wells. And we started working with Dominic on the 15th of May, 2020. And it seems really bizarre when we think about it, short time frames. But we started to shoot on the 13th of July, 2020 in London. And we were the, the first drama production to, to film coming out of, of lockdown. And the atmosphere of everybody, the, the attitude, the energy of everybody was one of the most amazing, amazing times I think I've ever experienced. And, and Ben did mention earlier, and Ben, I'll come to you just uh, for a second. You did mention this was the first drama shot uh, in, in COVID. Ben, as a producer, you produced this, this project compared to something like Father of Flies, obviously, which was shot before the pandemic. As the producer, what were your main challenges that you had to deal with that surprised you producing a, a film in COVID? I think when you're producing a movie, it's about solving problems. And it's fundamentally, it's about solving problems and also seeing problems before they happen. When you do it out of the gate of lockdown and you're one of the first to do this we don't have any regulations yet the insurance isn't even being underwritten it's a huge risk so every single morning you usually wake up and you think okay I'm gonna you know you go through the safety reports you go around the set you make sure everybody's safe and fed along with supporting the director and the creatives this was an extra cherry on the cake this was like and what on earth is going to happen if somebody it becomes contagious Luckily, as I said in the past interview, we got through the whole thing and moved the production to France to shoot Sir Derek Jacobi's scenes, and we didn't have one case. We were very lucky, but because we didn't have any legislation to go by, 
any any rules and regulations at that point other than our own common sense we really took it incredibly carefully we, we had a covid officer um we had a nurse at all times but not because somebody was telling us to do that as ben's saying it was hinted at it was there was uh, there was nothing written down so it was really let's test everybody let's keep in bubbles let's let's keep everybody safe and we did not have one instance of um illness that's a good point that you just raised Kirsty. kind of tying into what ben said because there were no regulations set in place essentially your production was the pioneer of what are now rules and regulations that are going on film yeah. sets with having covid nurses and and testing regularly yeah, yeah it really, really bizarrely i found a photograph that i sent to uh, the team when we were trying to work out how we were going to start this and i'd actually designed a studio space with disinfection units and everything it is like the worst child's drawing you've ever seen marcus but i have to say our our nurse was really uh liv was absolutely brilliant and 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 monitored everybody really carefully and so was our covid officer scott so the film is actually about the human condition the, the film is about emotions and relationships with others and, and oneself. It's set against a backdrop of being contained and it's been filmed in against a backdrop of being contained. And But what is normally said about the film is it's a film about lockdown. Now, there's, yes, there's some radio reports, there's the dates when the announcements were made, but... Actually, when you look at the the essence of what is being filmed, it's about people and it's about how in that short space of time, which actually seemed like a really long period of time when we were we, we were in it, it's about how 10 years of life got basically squeezed into 10 weeks. And that is what the actors identified with and what the crew identified with. And I think that's how we got the strength of performance out of the the, the actors. Um, I remember sit, when we were sitting, Ben, with Sir Derek and Francis Barber, and they were saying, can we bring this to it? Can we bring that to it? Can we do this? Because, and the tear that you see falling from Sir Derek's eyes when he sat on the bench with Francis Barber is a real tear because he's thinking about him and his plight and the fact that he'd isolated in, in France you know, which is his second home for th three and a half months, Ben, or four and a half months, a long, a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's like, you know, you might think people of privilege might be better off than people without privilege. Um, but they're not because you're stuck with this, aren't you? You're stuck with this and you're stuck with your heart and your head and your heart sometimes don't match. And we have our actress who you think must live in a mansion, but she lives in a caravan and the only caravan in an industrial park. She's, she thinks she's got fans. She hasn't. Nobody's really interested in her. It's very sad, but there is hope in there as well. <laughs> it, it's, it's funny that you touched upon that as well. And that's kind of one of the questions I wanted to ask about so the, the reception that you've gotten because it's a movie set in COVID, obviously, as you just said, it, it, while it's a movie set in COVID, that's just basically what's reflecting the life around the characters that are being told in the story. Uh, one thing, one question I did want to ask was, what has been the reception to you and Ben about doing this particular film set in COVID? Because the reason I asked this question is 
because I've, I've been pitching a number of other projects to different people. I'm consistent piece of response I've gotten is that nobody wants to see a film that reminds them about COVID because they're living through it. Uh, that's, it's, all, it's almost word for word consistent with everyone I pitch. Um, so what kind of responses did you get with regards to this particular project? And how did you overcome it to just go ahead and make your film? It's, it's a really, really good question, because when we shot it, when Kirsty created the idea, we assumed that hopefully this is the last that the world was going to see. We we're out of lockdown and that was that. So we had just marked a point in time in human history. However, there's an advantage of doing that, regardless that the pandemic went on and is still going on. When you create something of the moment at the moment, as Kirsty said, the performance is the story. It's so real. And when we've had the screenings and so on, yes, it's a big pill to swallow and it's tough. That doesn't mean to say that it is an incredibly important bookmark in our human story. So to make something and have the privilege and the opportunity to make something about the time of the time, where now we have screenings at festivals and cinemas and people afterwards saying, my goodness, that film, I forgot what it was like back in April. I forgot those news reports. I forgot how I felt when I woke up that day by myself. That's incredibly important to capture. Yeah, it's a tough thing to swallow, but there will be a time when people want to look back and say, wow, look where we came from. Look what we did. I agree. I, I agree with that. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Akko. I'm producer Dave. And we're joined by the director of A, uh, a Bird Flew In, Kirsty Bell, and the producer of A Bird Flew In, uh, Ben Charles Edwards, talking about this particular film. Now, uh, Kirsty, I'm going to throw it to you. If I'm correct, this is your uh, uh, debut as a film director. You've been producing a, a large number of uh, projects with Goldfinch, which I'll come to in a few minutes. Um, one of the questions I wanted to ask as a director, um, your artistic choice to go with black and white for this picture, what, in, what made you choose that particular method of capturing this film? Um, two things. Uh, one is, um, I'm very old, Marcus, so... Um... <laughs> no. Uh, I was, my, my father was an avid film uh, goer and film watcher and uh, from being very young age, uh, black and white films were his go-to and I used to watch them with him on the television when they were repeated, you know, and I was fascinated by watching characters with no colour in, as in there's nothing to distract you from what they're saying and their movement and one of the most important uh, movements in cinema history, in movie making history, is the cinema verite movement. And the British filmmakers tried to copy it uh, with certain films that were made in the, in the late 60s and early 70s. And I just felt that in order to get the true emotion of, of the characters and the actors identifying with those characters, we needed to strip it of colour. Initially I spoke to Ben, not about black and white, but having this very pale pastiche, very drained colours, didn't we Ben? We talked about like pale greys and pale blues, very, very cold colours so the emotion could come out of, out of the characters. You know, when we were looking at photographs and reference points, that's really where we were. And then it, we thought, well, if we're going to have a nod to cinema verite, love a black and white film, Love of cinema, Verite. A producer's perspective as well, there was something incredibly practical about shooting black and white with COVID in mind. 
it helped us speed up our days and shoot quicker because we weren't color balancing the sets and production design and wardrobe costumes and makeup didn't have to consider color um, which is obviously a huge part of visual storytelling this was about Kirsty's ambition was about the tone the emotion the light and the dark so it allowed us to shoot quicker and and therefore free up the schedule to have time for COVID tests to, you know, we were shooting half the amount that you would usually shoot in a day. So we could take it slower, so we could clear the set, get it cleaned, all of that stuff. So, you know, when Kirsty said, I definitely want to do black and white, I thought, thank goodness for that. As a result of making the film and going through the experience of developing all these characters, have you had, or are you going to develop any future films or projects related to any of the characters that you've uh, come up with? It's funny you should ask that, Dave, because we we have been um, asked uh, by a few people whether they want to know what's happened to those people in the, in the future, because obviously we've cut them off at a particular date. You've got no idea whether any of them have ended up together, whether they survived or, or whatever. So we have been, you know, sort of it has been mooted but no, I, I think my my wish is to be to direct again, is to be involved in the human condition again, not necessarily those characters, but to develop other characters in other situations that are very real, um, and we bring a reality to ordinary situations and bring them out to the world, because. For me, as Goldfinch, we finance a lot of films that we don't produce and we don't, um, we EP it because we're financiers of them. But to be involved in the subject matter, if I were to direct again, I would have to be emotionally invested in those characters and build them up from scratch. And that to me was an honour to do. And when I started the journey, I never expected a film to be made. That wasn't the objective at all. I was just passing time doing lockdown and sharing it with the EP and then Ben and I brought it to life and I think it's rather amazing that the festivals have taken it up and you know Paris's features in um, A Bird Flew In are Julie Dre's character um, Anna she lives in Paris uh, she goes back from the UK back to Paris you see a lovely vista you see a lovely drone shot of, of Paris you see her home and uh that again is a nod to cinema verite, very much so. Um, we changed one of the characters from Russian to Parisian for that purpose. And for us, it's very important for us to be part of this festival and for people to actually watch it and maybe not be comfortable entirely because as you quite rightly say, we're still in the pandemic, but if they're talking about it, isn't that what cinema's about? When you come out the cinema, you want to be, you want to have something to talk about. You want to be saying, I don't, want, I don't want people going, oh, that was all right, and that's it. I want them to say, I identified with this character, you know, I thought this was good, I thought it was interesting they did this or, or whatever, because that's how I got brought up to common, you know, to have commentary on films. That's it's a big that's wish. A, no, no, it's, it's, it's not. It's, 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 uh, it, hits, it sort of hits the point that, uh, the, to the question that uh, producer David asked, and it kind of it, it took away one of the questions I was going to ask. So thank you very much, producer Dave. Uh, you're listening <laughs> to Shoot Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Akko. I'm producer Dave. And we're with the director of A Bird Flew In, Kirsty Bell, and the producer of A Bird Flew In, Ben Charles Edwards. Uh, um, Kirsty, you mentioned a few minutes ago 
uh, Goldfinch, which is a company, you're, you're CEO and owner of the company Goldfinch. Uh, ben, you are a head of production of Goldfinch. For those who don't know what Goldfinch is, there are a lot of filmmakers who listen to this show, independent filmmakers who have, hear Goldfinch and immediately their, their ears will just prick up and they will want to listen. But for people who don't know what Goldfinch is, Kirsty Bell, could you tell us what is Goldfinch? Uh, Goldfinch is, uh, is a lot of different things. We do uh, film finance, uh, EP work, executive producer work. We have our production arm, which Ben heads up. And we also have a ventures arm, which is uh, things like First Flights, where we help first-time filmmakers through our short film fund. Um, we have uh, the COOP, which is representation and management for crew members, not actors not actors at this point, but is for um, everybody else below the line and writers as well. Um, and we, it was set up, I set it up and launched it in, funnily enough, January 22nd, so it's nearly our eighth anniversary, um, 2014, because I got fed up of people who invested in an in independent film getting a bad name, you know, the independent film was getting a bad name for investment. And I wanted to prove a point. I told my husband it would be for 18 months to two years that I would do this for. <laughs> um, moved him down to London with the dog. And um, then uh, all hell broke loose, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it was, it just was, it hit, you know, we, we disrupted a lot of what was going on. And what we're trying to do now through our brilliant slate that Ben's put together is we're trying to disrupt again. If I don't take this opportunity, I know I'll kick myself. So I'm going to ask on behalf of a lot of independent filmmakers out there who are struggling, especially in COVID and, and pandemic, but also trying to get their own pictures made. How can a filmmaker such as myself, for example, reach out to Goldfinch and say, I've got a micro budget project. I would like to see if you can help me out. What can filmmakers such as myself do? We've, we've got several arms of Goldfinch that can help in this, in this, um, in this way. We have First Flights, as Kirsty mentioned, which does specialise more with shorts, but it is a way that we find some terrific talent. And First Flights, it's, it's a non-profit um, part of the business. So really, we create a structure where we can help provide funds to short films now they could be anything below 20 minutes but they can be proof of concepts to features as well so that's that's a way that we can get somebody on our radar at least um, and i think that the second way is the the point of this slate that kirsty and i have been creatively across over the last year putting together is to create a a slate of films as kirsty said which are things that we, people want to watch things that the audience want, things that the market therefore wants. They're not dependent on closing one or two huge stars so we can then get some pre-sales on MG in order to finance a thing. That's really hard. But if you've got a terrific idea, if it is commercial, you know, it, it is show business, it's not show art. We do have to try to make some money. That is the point of it. Otherwise, let's get some paintbrushes and paint a picture by ourselves in our bedroom. If you want to do a project and tell a story with 100 people on film sets, they're going to have to earn some money. Um, and for that to happen, the project has to have a commercial ambition to some degree. Um, so I think this slate is of interest to that kind of demographic. So essentially, if if there's filmmakers out there with great ideas, certainly leaning towards the genre, um, the genre 
market, thrillers, psychological horrors, um, then go to the Goldfinch website <laughs> and send them in um, so we can review them with you. Um, you know, that we're constantly looking for new ideas. This whole slate. We have um, a submissions group within uh, Goldfinch, Marcus, whereby they, the team review at various levels, depending where the submissions come in. But what I can say is every single one that is submitted does get looked at. Um, you know, we do try to feedback as much as we can. Um, and we get everything. We get everything from, you know, one page to whole scripts to lookbooks to even shorts that are based off the principle. This is why we, we do the short film fund is almost you proving concept with your short about what you want to do with your feature going forward. And we've, we've had three iterations of the film fund. So if we've just announced our most recent um, winner of the last, last fun, uh, film fund, um, which is a project called Legs, which is by a lovely lady um, film director whose name I'm terrible remembering names. So I do apologize to her if she's listening. Um, and it's, you know, we, we try and find those little kernels. You know, we can develop stuff in house and that's great. And we, you know, Ben and I can get it made, but it's finding those other people to add into our, our collective because we love to collaborate and, you know, that's me, you know, you don't just keep everything to yourself. You've got to be able to spread your wings. Sorry about the bird analogy to, you know, um, to actually get more creative input and to, to, to you know, change it up a bit, really. Um, First Flights also has a several online seminars which kind of cover these points. It's run by a colleague of ours, Nick. He's terrific at educating these on these yeah. subjects and it covers off how do you get a film off the ground there are ways and it is yeah. tough um i think the general the general idea is to be realistic when you send in your work to a production company they're not going to steal it you don't need to sign an nda if 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 it's a good idea we'll help you make it um and the other thing is you know you're, you're not going to get rich off your first film um it will be a case of a whole bunch of people believing in you, believing in the idea and putting some of the money on the line and going, let's hope we can make a success of this. Um, and, and with that comes a, re a reality. You've got to be realistic. Um, but as I say, First Flights um, has, has a huge amount of educational seminars and videos based around this subject. I know, I personally know a number of filmmakers who will be rushing straight after this airs uh, to your uh, to your website. I'll be one of them. I'll be at the front of the line. <laughs> I'll, I'll be there trying to get my project done. Um, well, they need to go to the first flights one as well, Marcus. It is a link on the main website because we're, we're actually this week doing um, every evening doing um, seminars, educational seminars on NFTs. You know, and, yeah. So that's um, quite cool. The website for your viewers. <laughs> <laughs> the website for your viewers is first dash flights.com um and goldfinch entertainment if you google goldfinch entertainment it, it brings up the the main the main website um but as, as kirsty says we, we've just launched an nft platform which is another way that we're trying to help fund and crowdfund um movies for for first-time directors and people that we believe genuinely need an opportunity this industry that Kirsty and I love so much is fully dependent on great ideas and great minds um, and it's it's where the British film 
um, industry needs to continue to head. And if Goldfinch can play a part in trying to get some of those people through the door and, and give them a foot up, then it's great for everyone and it's great for our industry. We're going to put those links uh, on the show notes of this episode when it goes out so that people can uh, can go there. NFTs is a very interesting topic. We've had someone uh, from uh, an NFT group actually come and explain NFTs to us because of a film that was being, uh, that was being uh, utilizing NFTs as a way of publicizing and getting funds in. So it's great that we can tie those two in together. Uh, Kirsty, I want to ask you, after Paris International Film Festival, uh, a bird flew in, where else? Can people see this film? Well, that's the um, that's the million dollar question. Uh, we're currently talking to distributors because they have listened to other people and said we don't know whether this is the exact time to release it. Um, they're basically talking about later this year. Basically, um, they they were talking about end of quarter one, so end of March, beginning of April. That could still happen. But I think they're concerned that we're still sort of coming out the other side. Well, coming out the other side, as in we've been told we've got to be more normal, whatever normal is. And that's really interesting because the tagline of the film is our lives will never be the same and our lives will never be the same. And it's almost like we predicted what has happened and we're sort of caught in that, that sort of situation but it will be distributed. It will be distributed later this year, um, we hope. Um, the point that Ben made earlier is it's actually timeless. It's, it's set in a time, but it's timeless. So we don't have a, a hurry on to get it out there. Um, I'd rather get it out there when the distributors and the PR people think it's the, the right time. And that's what we're in discussions about. It's going to be at other festivals as well. Um, so. Um, as is Father of Flies. So, you know, um, Father of Flies is being distributed from the 12th of April. Mm. So um, it's all very, you know, very positive. And uh, we hope everybody gets to see it. Absolutely. And uh, the moment you get to release date and Ben, when uh, Father of Flies is coming out, please come back onto the show so we can publicize it as best as we can. And when you have, if you want to get some of your first flights uh, filmmakers to come on the show to talk about their project as well, we'd be happy to have them on board. Nick would love that. Nick and Philip would love that, wouldn't they, Ben? Yeah, yeah. No, I think that would be a, a, a great benefit to the filmmakers out there. That's a great idea. We'll put this okay. way, Marcus. Uh, ben and I can't talk about NFTs. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, Kirsty and I sat the seminar last night that Nick and Phil hosted to hundreds and hundreds of people around the UK. Kirsty and I were on it at 8pm last night, trying to follow it and understand, um, texting each other in the background saying, are you keeping up? <laughs> Chatting in the back of the class and so it's actually listening to what the, the, the lecturer is saying. But, yeah. uh, absolutely. So thank you very much for joining us on Shoot the Breeze and we will speak to you very soon. Thank, thank you. you guys. And that was our conversation with Ben Charles Edwards and Kirsty Bell about their films, Father of Flies and A Bird Flew In. Uh, like we said, we're going to get them back on so we can talk about their new projects, talk about their old projects, talk about their new projects and talk about An Irish Goodbye, how they can they can they, they have the, the great um, 
honor of being Oscar, or at least uh, Kirsty Bell has the honor of being able to say, my film is an Oscar winner, which is fantastic. It's one of the biggest uh, awards in film that uh, any filmmaker could wish for. Uh, but we'll try and get them back on. You've been listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance FM. Uh, I want to thank you all very much for taking the time to listen to me ramble about things like uh, Married at First Sight Australia and to hear producer Dave uh, badmouth Shazam, Fury of the Gods. Uh, I did not badmouth. You did badmouth. You don't backtrack now. You did. You, you did. Uh, yeah, well, it's, because we, it's because you allow us to do this that we, we carry on doing it. And it's because Resonance FM don't listen to me ramble that's why they keep letting me abuse their airwaves. And I wish they carry on, and that would be the case. I'll continue talking and so on. Please message us if you want to, if you want us to have a look at various TV shows, if you want us to look at talk about various films, if you want to give your opinion on some of the things that we've said, please let us know. Either message us on Instagram at shoot the breeze show or on Twitter at STB underscore resonance FM. Let us know. Use the hashtags if you want. It's all about the three-way. Uh, shoot the breeze show, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and we'll get back, back to you. I have been Marcus E. Ako. I'm still producer Dave. And thank you very much for listening. And speak to you all next time. Goodbye. Bye.